Ali Gilbert, someone that I've been close with for at least 10 years. And uh, we kind of started together as TPI, Titleist Performance <laughs> Institute, Ease. We were kind of like part of that cult. Greg Rose and those, um, those guys who are just incredibly brilliant. And um, it's, been, it's been great because Ali, in a way, has been like a really close friend, but also kind of like a little sis to me. And to see what she's done in her career so far, even with Perform Better and, and the Perform Better circuits, but like looking at where, where her talking points are, and she's really kind of quartering this market that I know there's a lot of questions on. You and I were talking about this. I mean, with male hormones, mm-hmm. and we were joking around with a topic. Did you use boners and biceps? I have. Yes. When, when you when you asked what we should be talking about, I said boners and biceps. I, I mean, that's what we call this. Can we call this boners and biceps? I sure. would like to call my book that. So sure. don't take it. No. We'll oh, just, so we can't can we borrow it? it for. Can we can we, we can borrow, borrow it for today? All right, yeah. cool. We'll just Thank borrow you. it for today. Yeah, we'll yeah. Borrow it. Oh, my, I mean, they go that. together. Boners and biceps. So two things that we like. At least I like. Yeah. I. I and, love. And, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But Alec, do me a favor. Give us a little background right now. Like, how did this start for you? Sure. Well, as he said, we, we started at uh, TPI through Golf Fitness. So I've been a golf fitness trainer for, I would say, roughly 10 years. Golf 50? Golf top, top 50? Yep, top 50 mm-hmm. uh, Golf Digest. And with Golf Fitness is really, you know, the male-dominated clientele that I work with. So male golfers tend to seek out golf fitness training more than women. So that's kind of how I started working with guys. And that turned into nutrition coaching and kind of lifestyle coaching and realizing that there are no advocates for men's health the way there are for women. And guys need love too, and guys will not go to the doctor unless something's falling off. So (laughs) it's um, a a real issue that is very highly misunderstood and I just became very passionate about learning everything about men's health and how I can help guys through the training that I do. And I find that like golf fitness really means I just want to look good naked. Right. And you know, golf fitness, in all fairness, it's like, I don't want anyone to hear this and say, oh, this is for golfers. Like we have to turn this off. Like not even close. my, My business when I originally started it 15 years ago was about golf and golf fitness. And, you know, I pivoted away from that because I gained to learn that golf fitness is about creating a better athlete. So Allie, in a way, is here to create a better human being. And as we know, a lot of these golfers, they're stereotyped. They're almost pigeonholed into that. You know what I'm talking about? Khaki pants, golf shirt, a little out of shape. You know, the typical golfer in his 50s who just likes his beers on the course and is, you know, holding a little bit of that tire around the waist. But they want to play more golf. They want to play more golf with optimal energy levels, and they don't want to feel shit like like shit. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of how you went, you went into this. Yeah. Do you feel like um, that, that? Well, it clearly hasn't happened though. But but did you worry that you would be pigeonholed? Like I know that that's why Don pivoted away from it. But did that concern you? Um, it, not really, because I just started gaining more clients that weren't so much uh, golfers, but they were men who happened to play golf. Um, and I think a lot of them being over 40, high profile businessmen, <clears throat> didn't want to say, hey, I'm starting to feel less like myself. I'm starting to gain some body fat. I'm noticing man boobs. It's more, I want to hit the ball farther. But the conversation always ends up about body fat and abs and feeling better and all right. that stuff. So I think they've realized that that's kind of the niche that I've gone to. and. The people who know me as specializing in men's health are like, well, wait, how do you marry golf and, and men's health? And I'm like, oh, they go together. Trust me. There's a way to do it. Um, and even though golfers are kind of on the, the spectrum of not working out as much, we are you know, getting closer to getting them lifting harder in the gym and everything. But it's really it's not something that I'm concerned about because I seem to attract the male clientele anyway, which you know is fine. And that, is that just because you can communicate with them better i feel like you know we were talking before and it's just we it's just it's easy to talk to you about things um you said I'm no gonna, filter i'm gonna jump in here i mean she she makes it not only very relatable but um she makes it uh, she makes a topic that's almost uncomfortable and guys have been there you've you've gone into female doctors and you go and you gotta start, start talking about personal stuff you know that 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 male that masculinity can take over at times, and I've I've spoken to plenty of my clients who are like, oh, you know, I've had a tough, I've had a difficult time speaking with a female doctor. She makes it very easy to be able to relate to, and she makes the conversation fun. And I think when she's making it fun and she's allowing men to let their guard down, I think they absorb a lot more information. What are you talking about specifically, Don? Ooh. 
<laughs> Not with me. I didn't say with me. No, so I'm just point. I'm just curious. I mean, I, I have a feeling you're talking about. Um, not having a rigid boner. Yeah, I mean, listen. E- I mean, let's, e- ED, let's get it e- out. ED, ED, is a, ED can be a, a very difficult thing for a lot of guys to, to speak yes. about. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, I mean, what's your, I mean, how often do you get boners? those questions? Well, she doesn't get any. Lady well, boners? I was going to say, I know that one. Every, I get them every, every day, morning. but that's healthy, and she'll talk about that. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the quote-unquote report card of women's health is their period every month. For men, they get one every morning, which is in the form of an erection. So morning wood, as it's termed, um, men can start to lose the frequency of that or the strength of that as they get older, but it's largely due to stress and other factors. Not so much a testosterone factor as, you know, kind of thought, but it does have something to do with it. And when that happens, men start to feel less like men. And that's when kind of the strength in the gym starts to go downhill and they're very lethargic and they're tired and they're noticing, you know, I'm not as horny as I used to be, you know, something's wrong. And they don't really know how to communicate that because they're really not going to go to the doctor um, to try to communicate that. And most doctors um, will take that information and not do any hormonal testing or really dig any farther because the symptoms of having you know erectile dysfunction or low testosterone are very similar to depression so men will come into the medical community with symptoms of depression and all that stuff and then get handed an antidepressant which will actually drive their testosterone down farther make them less horny and yeah. all that stuff so and don't a lot of them affect um sexual desire too like don't they just take yeah. away like any you know inkling to want to have sex big or- time Big time. So it, it's kind of, uh, you know, you have to find a medical professional that gets it, which there are some, but they're very hard to find and they cost money. So insurance-based medical care, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But mm-hmm. um, so, you know, going back to being able to communicate this, talking to guys openly about this kind of breaks down that awkwardness. And it's not like the first day I'm like, hi, I'm Allie, do you have a boner in the morning? <laughs> you know, we, we took a while to get there. So um, I talked to them about their lifestyle and everything. Cause yeah, if they come to me, they want to get in shape. I need to know what that means to them. And what I say to other trainers, I say, if a guy comes to you and he's, you know, 55 or whatever, 40 and says, I want to get ripped. You have to ask what that means. I say, send me a picture. Because my version of ripped is on the cover of your magazine, right? Mm. To other guys, that might be maybe like a couple lines in the abs, mm-hmm. but like no dad bod, right? So understanding what that is, is huge. So I've gotten pictures of like, you know, Braun Strowman. I've gotten like uh, David Beckham. I've gotten like, you know, guys who seem more normal yeah, to the general range, population. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, Sorry. oh, shit, you want to get ripped, then it's going to, you know, require this, that, and the other thing when it really doesn't. So I, I asked them all these questions about their lifestyle and their sleep and all these different habits. And then that gets into the, well, you know, do you have any, you know, sexual dysfunction or are you no- noticing that maybe morning erections aren't as frequent? And I, I have to like say that, you know, in a way that is diffusing the guard yeah. for them. So. Cause I mean, do they, have you noticed that it's, there's a lot of lying involved at first. Like, oh, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. No, man, fucking hard, hard boners in the morning. And then, like, later on as they trust you, it's like, yeah, by the way, like, those boners in the morning, gone. Like, you know, as they start to Both. kind of, yeah. So some guys right away, like, knock it down, like, no, I'm good there. Yeah. And I don't really dig any farther. That's yeah. fine. If you yeah, want to sure. focus yeah. on the fitness stuff, let's go there. Sure. It'll, it'll happen eventually, which it usually does. Other guys, they're like, it's more like, how'd you know? And then the floodgates open and it's like, you came here for one thing and now right. we're talking about your digestive issues and bedroom habits and stuff. But so. it can really get thrown off pretty quickly. And we see this a lot and I, you know, I never really want to go here because it is a much smaller market, but with bodybuilders mm-hmm. and you'll, yeah. and, and you'll see it as they, as they are in their off season and their carbohydrate levels are up and their, you know, and their libido is, is definitely in a much different position that it would be when they start contest dieting or going in that 12 to 16 week prep for Olympia or whatever and I've, I've spoken to some of my some people I know or my friends and they're like yeah I'm like, I'm like how's your sex drive they're like non-existent mm-hmm. like, it's the furthest mm-hmm. thing from my mind um, I've actually seen it on myself years ago when I partially one of the reasons why I never do low carb diet also but, also, but when I had I, when I had a prep in like 2014 
2015, I, I, I carved a plea, which you, you know me. I think I, I, I worked don't... out with you one of the But what were you prepping <laughs> for? You were not nice. What's that? What were you prepping for? I, I was prepping for some shoot. Okay. I don't even remember what photo the, what shoot, the shoot. Yeah. Some, some photo shoot. And I remember carbs depleting and then loading my carbs back in. It was like the day of, mm-hmm. which was obviously bizarre. And I'm happy I went through it because it was like an eight-week prep. It was, it was, it was pretty, it was really hardcore. But I remember in that eight-week period of time, like I, I had my sex drive. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but it diminished. And that to me scared me. You know, yeah. not because I'm like, oh, I'm a sex. No, 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 not about that. But it, it, it is evident what diet can do to hormones and how quickly it can affect hormones. And if you look at a lot of the population out there, you know, people just aren't eating good quality foods and they're not, they think they're getting enough carbs or enough protein and they're not. And then you wonder why the body um, isn't performing, I don't even want to say optimally. The yeah. way it just should be. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to always talk about optimum, optimum, optimum. How should the <laughs> body be performing? And do you see a lot of those people? Yeah, I think uh, I I had posted yesterday on Instagram how fat is the most highly or is the most inflammatory tissue in the body. And a lot of the issues that men deal with when they have body fat to lose comes from the inflammation and the insulin resistance and the estrogenic issues from having too much body fat. And we're in a society where it's like, well, we have drugs for that. Let's go on this drug, on that drug. And you can actually come off a lot of those drugs like diabetic drugs. Testosterone replacement is actually one of the best drugs for diabetics. And a lot of these people are, they don't train hard, but they train a lot. Mm -hmm. And they don't tend to eat to fuel that training. And like you said, if they're not eating enough, their energy is going to dip because they're taught eat less, exercise more. They don't understand what exactly they're supposed to do when they slash their calories and then exercise and all of a sudden they feel like crap because the body will compensate. The metabolism will push harder when you start pushing on it. So your body's like, all right, well, procreation, I don't care about that right now. I just care about keeping you alive. So it's gonna send sex drive down and all hormones are going to downregulate except for the stress hormones like cortisol and all that. So a lot of those people I see and it's number one, they're not sleeping, but that's so not sexy to sell. It's really hard to get people to do. A lot of people have the hero mentality of, well, I don't need to sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I'm like, great, that'll probably happen sooner than you think. Yeah. You know, so a, a lot of people really have to do less. But when they do train, focus on the intensity of it, but not have to do it every single day. Caloric restrictions. I mean, one of my most commonly asked questions, I mean, daily, I, I'll have people message me and say, you know, I'm in a caloric deficit. Mm-hmm. Deficit. I'm trying to put myself in a caloric deficit. And obviously, I know nothing about this individual. I mean, they're messaging me, they're DMing me, but I like to look at, I'll look at all the uh, questions coming in. When your body is continually in a caloric deficit and you're continually starving yourself of calories, can you can you talk about that right right now? Oh, I, yeah. I take a different approach. <laughs> I believe let's get the body to um, to be uh, to turn into more of a fat burning furnace. Food is medicine. Um, feed the body once in a while if if you have to do a cut because it's your job. Do the cut, but right. you know get the body strong and lean off of off of food and exercise and sleep. Talk to us about deficits and what that can do to hormones. Itself. That actually, my, my talk at Perform Better, I'm doing a lot on that because it, it is so highly misunderstood. And there are a lot of trainers trying to do nutrition coaching. And the people that come to us, general population and mo- coaches as well, like we are the ones that mess ourselves up the most actually. And we need other coaches to help us. But Calorie restriction, it does work, but it can't work forever. And you can't live in a deficit. And there's actually a great study that I'm gonna bring up called the Matador study that was done in 2017, where they took two groups. One of them did a continuous calorie restriction for 16 weeks. And then the other group did calorie restriction for 30 weeks, but they did two weeks calorie restriction, deficit, two weeks maintenance, two weeks deficit, two weeks maintenance. Both groups lost weight. Both groups, um, the intermittent, so the 30-week group lost less lean body mass, but when the weight regain came, which it will, it was less in the group that did the intermittent dieting. And I can believe that. You can, you know, you can read the whole study, and yes, part of that can have to do with compliancy. Um, but a big part of that was taking that diet break and giving the body a break kind of tricks your metabolism because you know anybody who diets it's going to take four days to start compensatory issues going on your hunger your energy your cravings your sleep something's gonna something's gonna give and 
diet plans don't work specifically for that reason where someone can do it for three, four days, but then all of a sudden cravings hit, they binge. So giving somebody a diet break or bringing them, them to maintenance tells the metabolism, okay, we're not starving anymore. It's okay to continually operate at a higher level and then shift into a deficit again. And there's these different toggles that you can take where the mainstream is taught eat less, exercise more. And that's calorie deficit, whether you're creating that through food or creating that through exercise. That will work until it doesn't. Then if somebody's on vacation or they're working and they're away and they don't have a lot of time to exercise, you can eat less and exercise less. And this is what Europeans do. So they walk around a lot. Obviously movement is different from exercise, but they're not in the severe deficit with exercise, which really only accounts for 5% of your metabolism anyway. So Parisians, you know, Europeans, they're lean. They walk around a lot. They don't really eat a lot and they kind of eat whatever they want. Then you can toggle into eating more and exercising more. And that's really the athlete's approach. So think about an athlete and think about how everyone wants to look like one, but nobody wants to eat like one. Mm -hmm. And if you ask, you know, Michael Phelps, hey, did you diet your way through Olympic training? Like how, it's crazy yeah. to ask him that. But everyone wants to look like him, but they don't want to eat like him and they'll try and train like him. So it's really any of those toggles that you can put the metabolism into will, will get you the best results over time. Right. But why do you think that we've gotten to that point where we think that we have to eat less? Is it just because we've been tricked via marketing? Like, do you think that that's what's happened? I think uh, marketing and I think that people do these eight week transformations over and over and over and lose the same weight and then gain it back and then do it again mm -hmm. where they're not taught sustainability. Right. So I always tell people my my coaching programs are three months or 12 months and three months is short because you're just getting to know somebody's physiology. And we all know as professionals how to get people to lose weight, but we have failed in getting them to keep it off mm -hmm. and to find maintenance and to find a way that they can do this the rest of their life. So you're gonna eat the rest of your life. You might as well do it in a way that you can do the rest of your life. I've never offered a low carb or a restricted uh, diet for transformation. So, you know, yeah. I, I have my, my playbook app. I offer my nutrition plan up there. I don't even measure macros. I go by palm size, fist size, mm -hmm. thumb size. And what I try and instill in everyone is like, listen, you want to do a, de a detox? Fine. We're going to give you a small, a small six-week plan. I really don't want any alcohol. Yeah. I don't. I don't want any. I don't want any cheats. I want you. I want your body to get adapted to burning good, clean food. We will get you back to having some drinks. We will get you back to having some alcohol. I understand that, but you're coming from such a bad place that we just need a little bit of a break. Yeah. And that's. And, and I and I get it. It's happened. It's happened to all of us. You come back from a trip. You had a good time, and, and you're like, got to start the new workout. Got to start a new diet, food prep. You get mm -hmm. everything lined up. It's like mentally, it puts you in a good spot. I understand how people want to get into a good spot. I just. You know, I, I think, you know, individuals are hearing, oh, I had a cut for this film. I had a cut for the cover of this magazine. Cut, 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 cut. And they're like, well, I can just cut and look like that all year long. And the reality yeah. is the majority of the guys going on these covers, they don't look that way ever. There's no. lighting. They're going mm -hmm. through a six to eight week cut normally. It's angles. They're, it's it's angles. Yeah. They're, they're water <clears throat> depleting. Um, they're then filling out the day of and then they're holding up a picture of this guy who looks completely dry and he looks like a monster mm -hmm. and he's and they're like, I want to look like that. They're like, okay, you can look like that for a couple of days, a, a week. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Sadiq yeah. Hatsavik walks around. He's, 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 a, he's a monster, but yeah. he looks very different from you know how he looks on a cover or if he looks um, on the Olympia stage, than he does throughout the year. He still looks fantastic. He's still a big guy, but um, it, it they're not the same people. No. Is what I'm trying to say, and and that is the part that bothers me is that the majority of the readers out there think, well, oh, that's how he's walking around all year long, and he's not. But it's like the story you told about Ryan Reynolds, how he the the first Deadpool when he had to be shirtless, and he really he had anxiety over it, but he he knew he had to peak for that scene. So he, he don't Oh no no that was that wasn't Deadpool. That was 
that was like 10 years ago, Green Lantern, we put a lot of training into that, and he had literally like a three-second scene. And he oh, looked well, nobody watched that movie. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think he'll say the same thing, but he looked he looked unbelievable. But the thing I was proud of him about, and he, he doesn't mind me discussing this, is that he took a much, he took a very healthy approach the first Deadpool, and he just said, listen, I'm going to get carbs, I'm going to make sure my energy levels are optimal, and he just started noticing things in his body. He just started noticing like a fullness in his body, mm-hmm. and an energy that he had that he, he didn't have in the other movies, and his sleep improved, and he's like, oh my god, I'm getting stronger, and all these positive things, and, and like at the end of the day, like, why? Why are you going to go through this crazy cut and depletion for what? To look a, a half a percent better that most people aren't really going to notice anyway. Right. And if you screw up the timing, you know what goes into bodybuilding, guy. Like uh, Zach, like yeah, you, you know, like these guys will prep sixteen weeks, twenty weeks, and out of nowhere get on the stage, and, and you heard it a million times. The next day, they're like, "My timing was off. If I just looked that day, how I looked three days after, yeah. I would have won the whole thing." And they're like, "But you didn't." You said, and they, but they have to do that. Mm-hmm. No one else on the planet has to do that. No, no, but they want that look. And when you explain to them what that requires, and if you ask any of those guys how they feel on that day, they don't feel good. No, they don't feel good. No, and if you, you try know? to talk to them, like they're they're in a brain fog, um, they're grumpy, mm-hmm. they're hungry, they're tired, um, and it's you know it, it's it's work. You know, it's not like it's a good place to be. And then once they're done and they can eat, things change instantly, and they're different people. And a lot of times they, you know, they look better, you know, right. like because they have some carbs in them and they start to like, you know, they're not as dry. But on stage, they want everything to pop. And, right. it's, and that's yeah. that's when they have to peak, you know, for those judges. But as you said, for regular people, like we're <laughs> not going to know the difference. Like we're not going to know like the difference between that and like a few hours after. So yeah. it's uh, it is it is different. That's uh, why I say so you say shredded. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, show me a photo. And that was it. That was and that was a good I'm glad you, you let <clears throat> off with that because shredded for someone could be four weeks or it could be four years. Yeah. Like like I mean, for me is. and Don, we're like, okay, veins on our abs, dick yeah. skin lean. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. for somebody else, it's <laughs> like. <laughs> no, it's a great. I'm stealing that line, by the way. T so. levels can be recuperated pretty quickly, though, right? I mean, there's. I've read some studies saying that, you know, or, or I'm sorry, uh, d- diminish pretty quickly. Yeah. So three or four nights in a row of, of poor sleep, you can start seeing a decrease. What is the exact yeah. stats it's, on that? It's uh, fi- 15 to 20% decrease after five hours or less of sleep. I'm so fucked. It's, yeah. And that's why, like, uh, men who have a baby, the first year, their testosterone levels plummet from lack of sleep, but also because of some evolutionary process. Like, don't go procreate, you know? Yeah, I have a six-month-old, and I... <sighs> and he, <laughs> <laughs> your, your face says it all. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's like all like the warning signs you're talking about. Like, as you say them, it's like... <gasps> so. <laughs> but also men, or actually men and women, we are walking around every day with this environmental onslaught against us with the the plastics and like everything so we really can't win this war against our endocrine system you know so we can manage it and we can do everything in our favor to help give ourselves the best opportunity but that's yeah but this is what i mean like what what is it that we can do to put ourselves in this position or avoid really you know i used to make fun of don i always say this in my talks he would walk around with a glass bottle of water I was, I'd be like, what a dork. Like, that's so weird. He's such a tree hugger. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're just like, wow, this is actually reality. You know, switching from plastic to glass is huge. huge. It, it's, it's amazing what is in the water. So now they're realizing how bad birth control is for women. So all the estrogens and hormones in birth control, when women use the restroom, where do you think they go? In our water system. You can't filter that out with a Brita. And Florida is probably the worst right now with uh, their water. So estrogen in the water, you know, Roundup, atrazine, like the pesticides and herbicides, the amount of estrogens in the environment from those things alone, it's it's in phthalates, it's in parabens, in our beauty products. That's why there's such a huge movement now for phthalate-free beauty products, paraben-free, sulfate-free, CVS is taking all the beauty products that are going to be uh, endocrine disrupting uh, to us off their shelves. Um, it, we're really up against a lot when you know we're just living, and it's tough because the little things that you can do, switching to glass, you know, using a water filter and then putting it in stainless steel or glass, not 
taking a water bottle that's been sitting in your car hot and letting all that plastic and, and xenoestrogen oh, seep into it. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. Be, uh, before we jump into estrogen, she, uh, we were just discussing testosterone and sleep. And I, it makes me want to segue. We're not, we're not coming off topic, but discussing alcohol consumption and tea levels. Because if you're consuming, so most people will come to me and say, what's the best drink? And mm -hmm. I'm like, <laughs> it's like it's almost the wrong question because right. I, it, in a way, I mean, you can you 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 can answer it, but I um my my answer personally is I don't really drink enough to where it matters. Like if I'm going to drink every few weeks or whatever, and I want a few beers, I'm going to go have a few beers. Like I'm more concerned about what it's doing to me hormonally. I'm more yeah. concerned with how it's affecting my sleep. If I have two drinks and I go to sleep, you know, two drinks hours before, I'm waking up at two, three in the morning, my heart is racing. Mm -hmm. Something is off. So if it's affecting your sleep like that, are we, should we really be worried whether it's gluten-free <laughs> or not or how much sugar or calories are in it? Or are we really more worried about the alcohol and what it's doing yeah. ourselves hormonally? Uh, that's a big question, a lot of people. And they're like, yeah, but it helps me sleep. I'm like, no, it helps you pass out. Yes. Right. It does not help you sleep. Thank you. It, you know, and tracking sleep is one way that you can validate the fact that it's not helping you. But waking up at two or three in the morning with or with alcohol is not normal. And so what your heart racing and then the sweating and you know having to pee, that's a, a response, that's a stress response. Cortisol gets jacked up because you're drinking at night and basically whatever you drink gets preferentially metabolized by your body. It says, oh, energy, seven calories per gram, boom. I'm taking this first because it's the easiest to metabolize. And then anything you eat with that is kind of like, all right, you stay on hold, you know, burger and fries, I'm not gonna use you yet. So I might store you as fat, probably, because I'm gonna take all this alcohol and use that. And so when you explain it that way to clients, they're kind of like, oh, okay, so I shouldn't eat. And it's like, no. No. <laughs> but, you know, are there tricks? Like a lot of us don't eat a lot when we're drinking if we're gonna drink, but mm -hmm. this is not every night. So if you're somebody who needs that to relax, I highly encourage people find other ways to relax and try to get that out of your habitual routine at night because it's not helping you. Alcohol is a toxin. So there's a reason why the body hyper metabolizes it and wants to get it out as quick as possible. Fill everyone in on 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 what are some what are what are some of the detriments to to this? I mean, we all know alcohol, well, yeah, you can put body fat on. It goes way beyond that. Okay, so can it you ramps just, up yeah. um, aromatase, which is an enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen in the body. So that alone, you yeah. know, um, the beer, the term beer belly, like that comes from because the hops in beer has phytoestrogens in it and then it ramps up the activity. So the more body fat a guy has, the more estrogen he's gonna have, the more aromatase activity. So just that alone and your body detoxifies estrogen through the liver. So if you're impeding your liver with increased alcohol via any toxic substance, then really not helping your ability to detoxify estrogens out so then it becomes more carcinogenic what about the aging yeah. process it, it does not help that at all it doesn't it, yeah. it, exactly so i think people are asking a lot of the wrong questions they're asking well from a body fat standpoint right. et cetera, et cetera. yeah we want to pay attention to that but i'm not worried if you're someone who's going to go out every once in a while and have a few beers like live your life like I, it's just my my opinion like i enjoy having a few beers and i can get myself back on track but don't think for a second if i go have two or three beers that i am not feeling off or different mm -hmm. that uh, during my night's sleep the next day i wake up brain clarity isn't there energy level isn't there i've lost i've lost rest and then it, it takes a while for you to get that back so if you do that once in a while and i can feel the effects on that imagine doing that two three days a week like the general population is right. doing I mean, we terrible. know what we're getting into we have a routine after we drink of hydration and all that stuff these people or most people are like oh i just drank i need to beat myself up in the gym the next day right. which is the worst thing you can do yeah. on disrupted sleep dehydrated body and then they like, want to do it fasted now because yeah. everyone's doing intermittent fasting and all this stuff to oh. you know so it's like it's throwing more and more into the uh, into the fire yeah it's um so as you said they're asking the wrong they're looking at the wrong things they're mm -hmm. asking the wrong questions and it's like they're worried about the aesthetics rather than what it is internally that this is all doing which will affect your aesthetics in the long run right but um, is it also going to make you more inflamed and yeah it can and like i think that's something that people don't really understand that's a big problem for them like inflammation and like can you explain why it's a problem because people don't feel it 
you know, you can say you feel inflamed and that might be mean you feel like water retention or something. But inflammation can occur at the cellular level. Um, and sometimes with, with clients, even I, I can preach the sleep thing to them, I can preach the alcohol thing, until they see the numbers on paper from lab work, they don't really care. And then when they see that, they're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna die if I keep this up, yeah. you know? Then they realize that, yeah, this is important. Because if your inflammatory markers are high with any cardiovascular stuff, that's just a recipe for some sort of event to happen quicker than than uh, later. Say say you don't you don't have the ability to see the numbers or you don't have that type of access. The way you can really um, feel it is is is, is by um, removing specific things from your from your diet mm -hmm. and getting on a nutrition plan that you know people call it this anti-inflammatory diets but when you're the one benefit i i have seen out of dieting is that when you're removing wheat and gluten and when you're removing all dairy products and you're removing you know specific grains and you're removing alcohol and you're removing all this stuff yeah man like i'm, I'm hard on my 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 body i used to have a little tendonitis in the knee or the elbow or some contact injuries or specific things that mm -hmm. you might feel here and there and i don't know where you're walking around six weeks in you're like i don't feel anything you're like wow yeah. I, I actually feel like maybe you know the energy is okay because the carbs are still in there but they're from good clean <clears throat> carbs but i have rid my body the last four to six when you rid your body the last four to six weeks of things that cause inflammation mm -hmm. you're actually like if you have arthritis if you're in your 50s 60s and you have arthritis try that try yeah. that to minimize yeah. like rather than taking advil or something that's going to ruin too easy though yeah, i mean yeah. exactly but it's also but yeah. it's also very difficult you know, for you, you know, you throw normal tech boots on and within 30 minutes, you're like, oh, wow, my body feels great. Like, that's a very quick, easy, quantifiable thing. Yeah. Doing something like dieting is all right. Like, yeah. this takes time. It takes time. And yeah. people, they want a pill. Mm -hmm. They want magic. You know, I and I, I get a lot of people, well, I should do a, a food allergy test. I'm like, no, those are a waste of money because they just end up in an elimination protocol anyway. Yeah, you could just do an elimination diet. Yeah. Right. Can you explain that a little bit? Can, yeah. we, can, we, can we talk about that? Because this is a good takeaway for yeah. the people the, following. A lot of the, the simplistic way to explain it is food allergy test. There's all these different labs that will do it. And it basically tells you what type of immune response your body has. Not a, like an allergy, like anaphylactic shock or something but more of um, cellularly what happens. So it could be anything. People would be like, all right, pinto beans, romaine lettuce, and then they freak out and they see, oh my God, I'm allergic to everything. I can't eat anything. Right. It, you're really honestly going to show up. The highest ones show up of the stuff that you eat the most anyway. And dairy and gluten and wheat usually shows up in most people's. So then it's coming down to the protocol that they send you from the lab that says, all right, rotate this, add this, take out this. It's the same thing that we can do, as Don said, with some sort of anti-inflammatory template, you know, if you will. Um, it really isn't that hard. It's just not complicated enough for somebody to buy into it because they want something that's like specific and, you know, it has to be way, way easier or way more complicated than you're telling me. And it's like, no, nah, dude, like sleep and, you know, yeah. eat some carbs. Right. Like, if, oh, you're not sleeping? Okay, have some rice at night. Oh, my God. You can't have rice at night? The insulin fairy comes. Like, no, it's okay. Actually, you will sleep the whole night. Right. You know, so... I never read carbs like, from my from my diet. Never, no? like at night. Never. People are so afraid of them. Never. Like, I'll never do... Actually, it messes with my sleep if I start removing carbs in the evening. Um, I sleep better with carbs in the evening. Yeah. And I wake up with more energy. Yeah, but that's because you've taken the time to learn how your body works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I think people would be shocked that, you know, it's not, I'm not this unusual species here. Like, this is like, I've. But I've, you are. Well, yeah, you. You, yeah you, but you also are because you've taken that time. I have taken the time, people, but people need to trust people that are doing things the healthy and the right way. Right. And they need yeah. to start saying, all right, you know what? I'm not, I'm not looking for a quick fix here. But like, I think this that's is, it. You know, like, stop looking yeah. for a quick fix and let's, let's, in, let's invest in, in something called time. But your whole thing is, is sustainability, right? right? It's mm -hmm. something that you can maintain. And, and that's what Ali's saying. A lot of people are like, man, I'm hurt. Give me something that can take care of it immediately rather than find the root of it it's and take care of that, which yeah. might take a little bit longer and have some patience. Uh, and look, and I get it. Like, I understand that. But what you're saying is sometimes you just got to put in the work. It's a big education process because when people think carbs, tell them eat more carbs they that means so many things to them. Like to me and Don, it's like, all right, sweet potatoes, rice, you know, like, sure. like squash but to other people 
their definition i i even realize when i explain stuff to clients i'm like oh wow they think nutella is a nut butter like yeah. you really have to yeah. re-explain stuff you know in very simple ways and it's <laughs> like no i mean it, it's okay to eat white rice you know brown rice actually might irritate your gut and right. granted there are some people or who aren't ready for carbohydrates like they aren't aerobically fit enough sometimes or their body just doesn't utilize them and then it's a slow process of in, in, introducing yeah. them again or women who have like been oh i'm gonna go keto and then you know their body doesn't know how to handle carbohydrates you can't give them like 200 grams right away you know it's a slower process with some people um and you know pre-diabetics and stuff like that people are just eating a lot of junk like right. once they get that junk out of their system you know and oh, they magic. feel different oh my god magic magic happens um, night and day but you, you you preach food quality all the time i preach food quality all the time i also you know preach um not restricting the body right I, I i do believe and understand that that timing's a key and if i have two different individuals coming in and, and you know i might say all right you know you're you're like ali said earlier you're not um you're you're not used to carbohydrates your body can't really handle so much of them so we might try it around workout time and get your body yeah. absorbing it a little bit and then we might try that for two weeks and just try try doing the same thing every day and just getting an understanding where there's not so much volatility day in and day out and then you know what two weeks later we'll see do we gain weight do we lose weight how's our energy level at that point i feel like you can start making some adjustments so maybe it's bumping up 20 grams of carbs a day mm -hmm. every week not every day but like right. monday and doing that for the whole week and seeing how your body feels and wow i'm starting to get a little more hungry let's take it up another yeah, 20 grams that's and the then, best yeah that's the best because then you're like wow don like i was five days ago i was full and i trust the process and now my body's hungry and I mean, probably one of the coolest stories that, that I have with myself in eating, it was when I went on my honeymoon. Because I went from, this was 13 years ago, when I knew nowhere near what I know now, but I was still a believer in carbohydrates. And what happens when I went away, I went from eating, at the time, six, seven meals a day, because you remember how we do them as bodybuilders mm -hmm. back then, we thought mm -hmm. we were. Um, you know, But you, know, you go from eating six to seven times a day, or eight times a day, to eating three meals a day. Now, my three meals went from being, my, my meals went from being very clean to eating pizza, pasta, gelato, and drinking wine with every meal. And I lost almost, I think, 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. People are like, how's that possible? I hate you. I'm like, no. It was for 10 days. <laughs> yeah. Remember that. It was for 10 days. Because if I kept that up over time, yeah, was I, was I bloated? Was I inflamed? Yes, but I lost weight. And it was because I was consuming. A, I, have, I was in a caloric deficit. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the right calories, but I was right. in a deficit. But I looked like I didn't look good. I didn't look good. <laughs> and then I got back into detoxing, which was getting back to those six to eight meals a day. And then that's when I think everything cleaned yeah. up. For, you know, at that, the time. That's doing eat more, exercise less. Like yeah. on a holiday, you know, yeah. that's why, you know, now the big thing is enjoy yourself in your holiday. Cause especially if you, you know, are strict or you're in a deficit, your body's probably begging you to overeat. Yeah. Like this is great. And like, as long as you explain to clients, if they go on carbs or if they're, you know, increasing carbs or if they indulge on the holiday, the scale will go up and it's just water. Yeah. That's huge. You're not gaining body fat that in seven huge. days, right? I mean, yes. And changing it to kilos. If you change it to kilos, number one, they're not going to do the math. Number two, mm -hmm. it's a lot different if you're, you know, gaining or losing 500 grams a week. Oh, that's interesting. You know? So I never thought of that. I wouldn't be able to do the math with the kilos. Oh, the kilos. Yeah, no, the kilos. I'm not I would smart just be, enough No, it would just. <laughs> but it's it's a whole it's a it's a big process, and that's why I think everybody really just wants to belong to something, and that's why we have the carnivore diet and the keto diet and all these different camps. And then you know the '90s, we had the the '90s uh, low fat and the Snackwells and the Atkins and uh, South Beach, which are all just versions of keto. So everyone just wants to belong to something, and that's why you know group training and group fitness and CrossFits do so well because you're a part of something. Mm -hmm. So if you say like, "Yeah, I'm keto," like you know, okay, cool, people identify with that. And I will say, even though we may roll our eyes sometimes, when you find products in stores that are like you know keto this, or yeah. at least you know what you're getting into, like okay, this is going to be a higher fat, lower protein product. Mm -hmm. Cool. Like, all right, paleo cookie. Like, okay, I know what that is, you know? Paleo, if you want to live paleo, like true paleo, you can grab your spear, go into the woods. Like, mm -hmm. that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at least having the keto section, you know, at vitamin shop, like, all right, you know what that is. So, whatever. But people just really want to belong to something. And I think that's where that identification of a certain diet camp comes for them, where they just really need the basics of education. 
I can't even answer. Like, if someone asked me right now, what type of diet are you on? Or, like, Ali, what, what type of diet are you on? Who, me personally? Yeah, you personally. I, I'm on a normal diet. Right, exactly. So it's like, I'm, I'm on like, a human I'm, diet. I'm, I'm, yeah. on a, I'm on a food quality yeah. diet. Like, yeah. I'm on a, they're like, well, how would you break it down? I'm like, I don't know, protein, carbs, fats. <laughs> it's tough, uh, like, when you post eating. pictures of your meals. Like, yeah. you know, I tend to be lower carb because I feel best on sure. that. And, and then people message me, like, oh, you're low carb. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. First of all, I'm not doing, like, you know, hu- very high glycolytic work, like CrossFit, four, six times a week. Right. You need carbs for that. Right. right. Absolutely you need carbs. Sure. You know, I mean, when CrossFit and Paleo had a baby, and then everyone ended up with, you know, adrenal issues and overexercise mm-hmm. issues and stuff like that, it was a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, but you need carbs for those types of sports. Right. So. It cracks me up. Everyone wants to know, you know, mm-hmm. their their macro breakdown, but that yet they're going and partying so much on the weekend or doing something I'm like guys like just like what you're what you're asking right now may not be a result that your that your macros aren't dialed in people can do a lot with their bodies if they just get rid of a lot of the crap mm-hmm. they, they just don't mm-hmm. want, they just want to they just, and then yeah. but they but I think they need to accept that like like, like the woman I asked the, the two bottles of wine story like should really like <laughs> like, like all right no like yeah two bottles of wine a week is that gonna affect your physique yes it is she didn't want to hear it she was like really are you sure I'm like <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. If you eliminate where you are right now, if you eliminate those two bottles a week, like you probably, without changing anything else, you probably will see some improvement. Like, 100%. Let's be, she don't want to hear it. it. Yeah. yeah, she don't want to hear it, and she's not going to test it either because it's not the answer that she wanted. No, just, just take testosterone, fix it. <laughs> can I ask you? Can I go back to TRT for a second? Yeah, let's Red do my it. Mind. So, for one thing, um, I don't think I, I got a chance to follow up. Uh, is it dangerous? Because I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions that it's, a, it's something that's dangerous. No. So if it's medically monitored at a therapeutic dose, no. Okay. Um, there's wild claims out there on, you know, it causing cancer, causing prostate cancer, causing heart issues. That is only at super physiological doses. Could there be some cardiovascular issues? Most of the cardiovascular issues come from blocking estrogen, and the safety of it is impeccable. It's amazing and. They're actually, there's some progressive doctors now who are using super physiological doses to treat prostate cancer. It's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's hugely on the other side of what most doctors think. And I have a lot of clients that, you know, like in a consult, they'll say, I want to get lab work. I'm going to see my GP next week. Can you tell me what I should get? And I always know how this goes. I have it on copy paste. Send them the list of stuff. I say, you'll come back with maybe an eighth of this. And he'll question why, you know, most of the time the doctor's like, oh, you don't need to do that. Or you look great. Why would you want to, you know, test testosterone? And if they bring up TRT, oh, that causes cancer, you know, oh, da, da, da. So it's very, very highly demonized. So it is very safe. And it's, you know, the side effects are better sleep, better longevity, you know, increased strength in the gym, more vitality, you know, feeling like you're 25 again, though there are some 25-year-olds with very low T levels right now, but... Um, so the process would be you go get your testosterone tested, and if it comes back extremely low, mm-hmm. then you would go to a another doc like how, so how can you walk me through the process? Yeah. So I, I tell people, you know, your GP can only do so much. I would go to somebody who specializes in hormone replacement therapy, who has clients or patients that they manage. Because uh, someone who doesn't specify with that, they're not really gonna understand it as well because there's multiple delivery systems of testosterone. So also saying, you know- Is one of those better than the other? Like, yes. So it's like- I'll get into pa- that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so the ranges are massive. And LabCorp actually in 2017 dropped the range almost 100 points it was like 300 something to 1197 and now it's like 264 to 916 which is huge and not only is that an average of all sick and fat and overweight people in america but you know if you're 35 years old and you're 265 a doctor could very well say well you're in range Hmm. but you have all these symptoms and you feel like crap that's a major problem because at 35 years old, you shouldn't have test levels that low. And most of the clients that I have who are 30 plus, they come in with three and 400 at most. Very rare does somebody come in with very high test levels these days, naturally. 
So it, it's a huge misunderstanding and you can have all the symptoms in the world and feel horrible. And yes, getting your life together, lifestyle wise, that could bump it up one or 200 points maybe, but to get the effect where you'll actually feel better and get your life back, especially as you get older, is gonna require testosterone replacement. What happens though at a young age if you, if you do have well, all right, let's, let's say this. Let's say you're not on, uh, you don't have low testosterone. Mm -hmm. By getting on testosterone at a young age, does your, does your body stop producing it? Is, 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 that, is that a myth or is that, can that be adjusted by kind of cycling on and off of it? Because it, it bothers me with a lot of young yeah. kids who ask you that. I've never, and you, and you know me for a long time. I mean, I'm 42. I've never taken testosterone. Yeah, I've seen your lab work. So. Right. I mean, I've never, <laughs> I've never had a need for it. And if I had a need for it, I got to be honest, I would be really frightened because I buried one of my best friends back in 2010, and his T levels were north of 3,000 when we when we found him, you know, dead in his apartment. And and that was just to see my friend for probably five years before that have open heart surgery at 38 years old. I was, you know, I was 10 years younger than him. So you see a guy at that age have open heart surgery at that age and you see his energy going to crap and you'd see him getting off of it, but would have to get back on it because he feels too awful. He almost knew it was going to happen. Right. But I'm, I'm saying to myself, man, like at what age is the point where you should say, all right, you know what? I want to maybe live the rest of my life like 60 i still feel as young because if you're going to get on it where you get on it for 10 years like then you're 70 like 70 still kind of young like yeah what if and what if that kind of exasperates something else or another issue or causes you i know i'm rambling but you, you follow what i'm getting yeah. at like what's yeah, yeah, the yeah. right time it, it, it's finding a medical professional that understands it but also you know when is the right time is you know Yes, to answer the first question, it will suppress endogenous production, but also it will suppress sperm production. So with guys who are younger, they tend to be put on uh, Clomid, which is like a women's fertility drug, which basically is like an estrogen modulator um, that can help increase test levels. But if they go on injectables or another form and they come off of it, then yes, there's a way that they you know, can reclaim testosterone levels. However, they're not gonna feel as good as they were on the testosterone. Um, generally, they'll go through this with their doctor where do you, you know, are you done having kids? Are you going to have kids? Do you care about having kids? Because men on, on testosterone replacement can still be um, fertile, but they'd have to go on other things like HCG or Clomid uh, concurrently. So when they're younger, it's more of like, all right, what are you doing that is causing this? And a lot of it is like the environmental stuff and the artificial light. <coughs> that yeah, is a oh big one. Big one. Um, the blue light blocking glasses, as fad-like as they seem, those work. Um, they, they now have screen protectors that, they, that, yeah. are, that block blue light. Does that do those work? Or probably not as well. I don't know. I don't know how well, but I know the glasses. They make them for daytime and for nighttime. So if you're in front of a computer all day, that's basically like you're staring into the sun all day. Um, artificial light is different than blue light. So blue light itself is not harmful. But exposure to blue light at night, that's when we don't want it because that affects our production of melatonin. How much How much blue light at night? Like if you check your phone for 15 seconds because you had exposure to that blue light or does it have to be for a certain period of time? I would say like intermittently, you know, because I mean like checking my phone once, like no one, no one really does that, right? And then puts yeah. it away the rest of the night unless they're very, very like structured. Right. Um, some people have a curfew where they're like, I'm done with the phone, but I then you have the TV. That. Or you have lights in the house. Or your iPad or something, something else right. that's gonna omit it, yeah. Yeah, so if you're able to filter it, your body to produce melatonin, it needs darkness. And it just doesn't need just the nighttime, but it needs complete darkness. And that's why, you know, blocking out any light or street light or anything. So. If we don't have high levels of melatonin, we can't sleep as well, and that's where the circadian rhythm and everything gets screwed up, and that's why sleep is so important. But you basically, you know, anytime you stare into a device for a period of time, you're, it's like you're staring in the sun. Now, we wear sunglasses when we look outside at the sun, but we don't wear anything when we look at our device. So it's pretty much the same thing. I could feel that now. I could feel at times when I pick up my phone yeah. and I stare at my phone for a few minutes, I feel worse. Mm -hmm. after I put it down. I'm like, wow. And then when I'm away from it for a while, I almost feel more energetic. A little bit. But one could be because of posture, but I do feel like it's doing something to my eyes. It's definitely screwing with my vision. It helps the strain, um, the eye strain, definitely, if anything. You know, it's not like you put on the glasses and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm just going <laughs> to pass out. 
Um, But some people find it easier to fall asleep. And you want to wear it up until you lie in bed, and then you take them off with all the lights off. So it, it, it's something that actually has helped because that artificial light, you know, your body thinks, oh, time to get up, time to get up. And it's constantly being bombarded with the stress response, which we don't want. Right. And that's what is disruptive to the sleep. And that's what will shoot testosterone levels down, growth hormone levels down, you know. So it's, it's crazy, but that's like what we're bombarded with. Interesting. Cool. I just have a couple more questions about this, if uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you go in, uh, doctor says, you know, you're a candidate, and that's then you have to decide which method works best for you, right? So there's there's patches, there's injections, there's, I don't know, gummies. <laughs> I don't there's know creams, there's pellets, <laughs> there's they're testing nasal sprays, there's like, there's so many things. So the best form is injectable and compounded scrotal creams that have been found to actually be pretty good. Um, and those are applied on the scrotum, I think, about twice a day. Do you wear a glove, or is it so, just like no, you... Just, hey, wash your hands, because then it can get transferred. So injectable, it's you're getting the pure form of the hormone. There's different esters, if you want to go into that. But basically, you can't patent a hormone, so doctors can't really make money off injectables. However you find alternate delivery systems via pellets or mm-hmm. other gels and stuff. Like you notice we don't hear about androgel anymore and all those things. And you can charge whatever. I know a doctor in town who charges $800 for pellets. It takes 15 minutes for him to put it in. <laughs> the problem with those is, you know, your metabolism of that might be way different than Don's. Right. But if you get the same dosage, what does that mean that we don't have to adjust yeah. it? Yeah, so the yeah. only way to adjust it is you go back in, it's invasive. And then you can't really control the release. So it's not optimal. Whereas with injectables now, you know, in the way of um, antiquated methods is more doctors are leaning towards multiple injections a week, spreading it out. So the release pattern is more like your endogenous release pattern versus the once every 10 days or once every two weeks it used to be, which would skyrocket the estrogen and then you'd feel great for like two days and then all of a sudden you'd kind of crash. Hmm. Where now people are doing it sub-Q or still intramuscularly, you know, two to three times a week. So. Okay, and how much would that cost, like a ballpark? Because it's probably gonna differ, you know, change depending on whether you have insurance or whether right. like yeah, everyone's could... insurance is different. Yeah. So it could be like 60 to 100 bucks a month for a vial. I mean, that's that's pretty reasonable to feel good you know what i mean you know i tell people like investing in your health be prepared to spend at least like 2500 to 3000 a year in being optimal right because there is no optimal care you know it's all sick care with doctors so to be optimized you really have to put your money into that so we can't rely on insurance um because again, then you're limited to what the testosterone range is per the insurance, and you actually come up as hypogonadal and all this stuff. Where, you Whoa. know what, you're better off finding a doctor who gets it, pay right. a little bit extra, whether they're concierge or not, and then you know be in a good place. Because you're going to end up with a slew of medical bills anyway if you're just kind of all over the place. Right. So then, once you start, you yeah. got to keep going, right? Or else you're going to plummet back to your baseline. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a for life thing. Right. And um, I guess when you say being optimal, like that just means what that picture that you said somebody you want somebody to send you, I guess in this case, it would be the picture they may have in their mind of what they want to be. That would be considered optimal, correct? Right. And optimal meaning like, you know, that arbitrary range that they have. There's real there's no number that a guy needs to shoot for. You know, I, I tell people don't chase the paper. So if your test level comes up at 500 and you still feel really like, you know, you're a big guy, you don't feel that great, you know, maybe you need some more and then you feel amazing at 800. There's some guys that don't feel so good at 800. They feel better at, you know, 600. So it's really, it's different for everybody. But optimal, you know, in quotations is probably 500 or above for most guys. Got it. Yeah. Anything below that, they're likely to be symptomatic. You know, when you say something's for life, that's to me that's tough and i just don't believe and i'm not a doctor here so i'm going to say something that's going to piss someone off i just don't feel like most people are exhausting specific avenues before they're deciding to go back on it let me ask you a question if you don't go back on it what does that mean 
Like if you're walking, fine. If you're walking around, you're feeling people. Why, why would people come looking at this? Because they're feeling like complete crap. Let's mm -hmm. let's let's put aside the optimization of muscle building and being an animal in the gym and what some guys right. are looking yeah, it for. Yeah. Someone is is not living a good quality of life and they feel like complete shit all the time. That's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. But are they coming in? Are they now? Are they now removing blue light? Are they now looking into their sleep? Are they now looking into the amount of alcohol that they're drinking? Are they now looking into the air, their stress levels, their food quality, yeah. plastics? You start removing maybe the toothpaste they're using, the deodorant that, that they're using with aluminum. You start, like I just named 10 things right there. Mm -hmm. You start removing or you start fixing 80% of each one of these things, you should start to see an improvement. Oh yeah. Right, right, right. You should, but how many people really want to do that? So to say I'm going to get on something at 50 years old for life, I mean, damn. Damn, that's like, put aside the cost. I'm just afraid, like, what happens when you get off it? Are you going to end up like my buddy Tommy? Are you going to suddenly need more of it and more of it and more of it because your body just stops producing it and you were used to putting in this amount into a body that produced this amount, but now your body's producing less, so you need more of this. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's where, that's where I'm just... I'm just nervous over it. I, I just I understand where the research is going, and I know for a fact at one point in this world you are going to go to a doctor, and he's going to be able to prescribe this stuff to you, and you are going to know that you're living a better quality of life, and this is the amount. And maybe some doctors are doing it, and they probably are. I, I don't know. I'm just it just scares me. That's all. That's well, all I'm saying. Yeah, there, there's was, clinics like yeah. I mean, there, there's you know one guy friend of mine said, yeah, they they gave me testosterone and arimidex in the same syringe, and I was like, what? Like these guys are walking out with like a starter pack of like testosterone, HCG, and Arimidex, and they don't even like that. No, you want to be started on just testosterone. See how your body does on that. What I'm saying is everyone you has know? low T now. Like everyone, they're like, oh no, I'm on it, but I have low T. I'm like bullshit. You don't have low T. Like you know, like you're a freaking monster. You're a 25 year old guy. You you didn't have low T. You don't have low T now. Like you said, you felt great. Like you're opening a can of worms right now. You're yeah. 25 getting on this stuff. Like there is like. My, yeah, 25 my, is a little early. I mean, no, there's... I come on, man. I mean, go on Clomid, jumpstart. That can kind of reset stuff and then, you know, get your lifestyle together. Open heart surgery at 38 Well, that's old. what I'm saying. You no, see but, that but, and then you're suddenly but, saying, wow, let me rethink this a little but bit. That, with that experience, who could blame you for being... Yeah, I don't blame you because, yeah. I mean, there are, you know, a, a lot of the reason why they pulled uh, Androgel. I almost said Astrogel. <laughs> 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 Androgel. Um was because the concentration of testosterone was not high enough. So it wasn't really benefiting guys. So men are at a very high risk of cardiovascular events with a testosterone deficiency now. And the mismanagement of estrogen and having higher estrogen from all the environmental stuff is very risky for them. So being on a supplement that doesn't really give you the balance that they needed, you know, there was um, all those claims that it caused CV and all that, that was from Androgel and they brought test levels to like 300. Woohoo! You know, like <laughs> yeah, it didn't really. But, but well, for for how old how old of an individual? For guys over sixty years old. Well, that's that would be a good range. That's a it? risk anyway. So a guy sixty five or older with you know heart issues. Yeah. Like this is the study. This is the problem with a lot of these studies claiming that it's bad and all that stuff. So. You know, but no, I mean, the, the the argument with that is that men who do go on it at a certain age that it would seem, I guess, socially acceptable. They feel so good. They don't really have a reason to want to come off. It know? really is. I mean, at the end of the day, you give an individual optimal energy levels. Every, a lot gets cleaned up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at even even people trying to put muscle on. It's like, like I, it took me 20 years to realize that my goal is to have optimal energy levels. Because if I have optimal energy levels, I can work the way I want to work. I can train the way I want to train. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to be feeling a specific way. So it wasn't as much about as aesthetics or even functionality. As I, well, functionality in a way is, is energy levels. But it, it definitely, my, my goals changed a little bit. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many young trainees I see that are that are nailing that C4 you know oh. an energy drink yeah. and they're sitting there and they're taking more and more of it and they think it's funny they think it's a joke yeah it's got 400 milligrams no I can like oh, I was talking to a guy the other day at a supplement store he's like nope I can drink a C4 before bed or I can drink a Jekyll and High before bed and I'm like there's a problem there like you don't realize you, you think that's cute you think that's funny yeah. the fact that you do that there is a problem there and what's scary is no one has ever won the battle don't fuck with your heart mm -hmm. at a specific point it gets real when you see someone at 38 or 37 get opened up or you see someone have a heart attack at a young age or you see a guy at 50 years old lose his life 
it's you know it becomes very real and i'm just asking people out there i think it's probably where we want to close this is to do your research gain an understanding don't listen to some dipshit in the gym who's telling you on his one year experience you know like give me a break like go go seek someone that's that's beyond qualified because this is a decision that can change your life positively but also negatively we got deep you, there. you can well, you can easily you know research um, and a big part of that is the the conversion of testosterone to estrogen <clears throat> in guys that are on testosterone replacement is very cardioprotective. You do not want to suppress that. Um, there's a lot of research now on blocking estrogen in men and what it does, the bone density on DEXA scans declining. You know, men need estrogen just as much as women do because it does help with libido and um, fat storage and everything, it actually helps you become more insulin sensitive and, and lose the visceral body fat. So suppressing that and blocking that at very high levels of testosterone is I think where from the bodybuilding community, that's where a lot of the cardiovascular events happened is because of that. Cool. And there's a lot of doctors that will see estrogen flagged high on labs and say, oh, well, time to block it. And the guy has no symptoms. Right. And when we say symptoms, we say very, very sore nipples, you know, water retention, moodiness. Like, okay, you know, some guys need it, but you know what? You're not going to get gyno unless you're genetically predisposed to getting gyno. That's a genetic thing. You're not going to get it just from increasing estrogen and all of a sudden. You may gain body fat in that area, but there's a difference between gynecomastia and man boobs. So that's kind that? of like a tangent. What is but... that difference, actually? Because I think that's, that's kind of important uh, because that's actually a question that, that someone asked me prior to this was, you know, if a buddy of mine's got man boobs, like... How does he get rid of there's them? There's a gyno the gene. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a researcher, Anthony Jay, who wrote a great book actually called Estro Generation. Everyone should get it on Amazon because it's literally, it, it's not that long, but it talks about all the estrogens and that's where I got a lot of the stuff in the atrazine. Are there any pictures? Like so, I like big pictures and not a lot of words. Uh, no, uh, there's no, no, it's not a picture book, but he's super smart. He's actually at Mayo Clinic, but a very intelligent genetics researcher who he can say like, all right, Don, you have the gyno gene and he may or may not need surgery. You know, but uh, man boobs is just body fat, you know, deposited there. Um, so if somebody's over fat, then you'll see that. And a lot of guys cool. start to get that when, you know, they lose muscle mass because either, you know, they're not as optimal as they used to be. They stop working out, you know, all of a sudden they shrink and it's just like, you know, everything's kind of drooping. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a real thing, and it's very misunderstood. And, and I've had this conversation with a few doctors actually locally. I'm like, you know, have you done the research on the estrogen suppression in men and how it's, you know, frowned upon? And they're like, wow, like mind blown when they look into it and how it's actually helpful for men. Because un unless if a guy is symptomatic, then you have to really adjust testosterone dose. And that's why they go to more multiple doses a week so that you don't get the spikes in estrogen. So you can deal with, you know, crying at movies and maybe gaining. You're going to gain water anyway if you're on testosterone. It's right. not a reason to block the estrogen. So crying in movies is okay. Totally. I do. Thank God. I mean, you have a six-month-old, so, you know, you're Toy likely. Story 3 wrecked me. I mean, I, I, mean <laughs> we, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I got a million other questions here. I mean, we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to do another segment. With I do, I do. Sick. But, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to kind of process everything uh it's i'm a not lot. gonna a little depressed from some of the things we spoke about <laughs> like basically everything's horrible i'm gonna go breathe no. toxic air no. i'm gonna but go you know touch what? plastic I think, I think what she's what she i think the main takeaway from this is there's specific things we can control pretty easily yeah plastics blue light you know, having mm -hmm. a um, putting some sort of a governor on your phone where you, or an alarm where you right. say after 6 p.m., you know, boom, you know, here we uh, there are certain things that we can do that are just that become, you know, part of your lifestyle. Water filtration systems. Mm -hmm. Those are easy things there that are, you know, minimal costs, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think what Rally's saying is do those because there's other things that right. we're just going to be like, listen, we live in New York City. Yeah. We're going to be exposed to the air here. We're in stressful environments. And I'm, you know, last I checked, I would still wake up at 4 a.m. two mornings a week. So those are things I just can't change. So I better make sure I'm not burning it at both ends. And I better make sure that those other factors 
have some control over them. Yeah. Have some control well, over them. It's very easy to go down a rabbit hole with a lot of this stuff. And, right. and it seems ridiculous. So, But there's very easy things that are very acceptable. Right. right. You know? Glass is acceptable. It's very socially acceptable, you know? Yeah. Non-toxic skincare products. Like, If you don't makeup. mind, when we, when we launched this post, um, a lot of our guests have been doing this. Could you go on, when we launch it on Muscle & Fitness, go answer some questions. Put put an hour or two aside if you yeah, don't mind. Sure. And people are going to start asking and challenging and, you know, turn around and answer those questions. You know, Pat Davidson did it for us the other day. Jeff Spencer's going to do it for us. That's something that we're almost asking all of our guests to do because, you know, they're getting access to some pretty incredible information that you're giving them. And it's even more incredible. And a lot of information. Fun. It's a yeah, lot. I mean, there's a lot. It's, yeah. it's a lot of, there's a lot of questions that'll pop up. But, but I think the one thing we can all agree on is that if you get a rock hard boner in the morning, it's something to celebrate. Absolutely, as a man or a woman. Right, right, Don. <laughs> I love it. So, do me a favor. If um, people are going to want to, people are going to want to reach out to you. What's yeah. what's your social handles? Your you know, yeah, what? Instagram. It's the Ali Gilbert A L I because it's the only you know. Apparently, Ali G is patented everywhere. So, uh, Twitter is the same, the Ali Gilbert, um, and then my website is ali gilbertcom Changing it to boners and biceps very soon. Change, <laughs> yes, to boners and biceps. So A L I Gilbert. Thank you. All Thank you for coming on. Will you come on again sometime, please? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Because we're this gonna have fun. a million questions, million more oh, questions. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take this up. A, a, a not, I thought today was perfect though. Episode number seven thousand and one with Ali Gilbert. We <laughs> hope everyone enjoyed um, our episode. Um, you can follow Zach at Zraz. You didn't change that yet, did you? At Zraz is his Instagram handle. Mine is at Don Saladino. <laughs> if you have any questions, please feel free to email us at reps, reps at, at muscleandfitness.com. Um, as always, guys, we're really enjoying this, and we're going to continue to bring phenomenal guests like uh, like Ali on. And until next time, thank you again.